um, I was told many years ago that I had a little bit of ability and gifting to play the piano. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had an aunt that offered to um, pay for my piano lessons, and it didn't work out, and it's all good. But um, but I, no one knows this. I've not told anybody, not even Sister Murphy, but uh, I've been uh, practicing some things and playing a little bit here and there. And um, there's a real kind of a complicated piece of music. It's called the Lord's Prayer uh, that I've practiced some. So tonight I would like to play for you. Uh, I don't want to wait till I learn the whole thing, but I would like to play for y'all tonight the little bit that I've learned. So... Thank you, Casey. <laughs> That's all I've learned right now, and um, Boy, y'all fell for that hook lines. <laughs> Thank the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm developing a reputation here on Wednesday night where you don't know what to expect. And so uh, I'm living up to that right now. Um, I want to thank Jason and the rest of our service leaders for being so kind and announcing our 25th anniversary party on Saturday night, May the 19th. And I asked Casey the other day, I'm, I'm nervous. Uh, about how many has signed up, and I think she said eight. So uh, if y'all could, you know, just go ahead, and she didn't really say eight. Uh, that was only part of the number, and uh, but she did say eight. That word eight was in there, so I'm not telling the story. It was eight. And uh, But anyway, I would really appreciate you folks coming out, and we'll have a good time with that. Again, I'm living up to my reputation that you never know what pastor's going to do on Wednesday night. So that's why you need to be here. That's why it's important to be here. So now y'all can leave tonight and get on Facebook and tell all of your friends and family y'all should have been there tonight. Pastor played the piano. <laughs> and just tell everybody it was remarkable. There's no mistakes. He was comfortable. Just It flowed. You were blessed. You were blessed because you laughed pretty, you know, and uh, so anyway, I love Grace Church. Are y'all glad to be here tonight? You love your church? Isn't it a great place to be? <clears throat> so um, where I am a little hurt over the piano solo is I didn't get much of applause for like an encore or anything. So I think if I ever play that again, I'll do the encore first. Y'all didn't. Uh, <laughs> never mind. We'll we'll just move on. So <clears throat> remember service Sunday. Uh, come out Sunday expecting a great time in the Lord. And uh, man, this past Sunday was amazing. I'm always thankful for the moving of God's Spirit. And um, is anybody here tonight encouraged, encouraged to be here, fight another day? We're, we're, we're still here, and we're going to fight another day, and uh, God's hand is certainly on our lives. 
thank the Lord. If somebody could attend the back screen, I'd appreciate it. And uh, it'd be really cool. Let me read our, our text tonight, and we'll jump into Bible study. I'm continuing our series uh, on our purpose as a church. And tonight's going to be a little bit different, and, and the purpose of a church is, is, is numerous, and there's many things. We certainly wouldn't be able to cover all of them, but we are making a little bit of a journey through the book of Acts in doing this. I'll read our, our text tonight out of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be <clears throat> loosed in heaven. We've talked about already, I'm giving to you principles pertaining to our purpose. Uh, I did throw out a challenge several Wednesday nights ago uh, to challenge some of you to get you a Bible study chart and start teaching Bible studies. Uh, I don't want that to go away. Uh, I don't want that to terminate. There's plenty of people here tonight that's well able, well capable uh, to teach Bible study. If you learn a little bit about time management and commitment, if once you start it, it gets into your blood and you enjoy doing it. Uh, it just becomes something you have to do. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, those of you that will, to uh, pursue that. Please pursue that. We actually have people uh, that attend Grace Church that would like to have a Bible study. And um, uh, and I'm sure there's people you know, if you work them a little bit, it would be uh, an awesome thing uh, to go to their home, uh, whatever you work out, and teach them the Word of God. And I can promise you, you'll learn more about the Bible teaching it than you will just studying it. You'll get questions and things that you've never thought of before, and they'll make you go home and dig. And um, So... If you would do that, it would be certainly a blessing to the kingdom. It would be a blessing to our church. But I've been giving to you principles. Um, last Wednesday night, I talked to you about the power of a testimony. And uh, I'm asking you again, if you don't want to teach home Bible study, perfect your testimony. Write it down, rehearse it, and use it. It's a tool that I believe God lets people go through things throughout their life. And when you convert, it's to his glory, and you can share the amazing power of God that, that it took to save you. Share that with people. Don't hold it back. Share it with people. And everybody said amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about honest motives. Honest motives. The Bible said in Acts chapter 5, uh, talking about Ananias and Sapphira, uh, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. The New Living Translation says he brought part of the money to the apostles. But he claimed it was the full amount. His wife agreed to this deception. This is the second time in the book of Acts that everyone sold everything they had and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Basically everyone who had a job gave his entire salary, brought it to the temple. Everyone who had property sold it and gave all the proceeds to the same fund. This happened at least twice in the book of Acts. Ananias 
a man in the church, a man that professed to be a believer and so on, had a very simple plan. He decided to give only part of his money, but to tell the apostles that he was giving all of it. And those of you that's a student of the Word of God knows that when he did that, the Bible said he fell dead immediately and was carried out. But notice the analogy behind this story, and this is what I'd like for you to hear. By doing this, Ananias would be able to secretly save money for his wants in the future while the church met all of his needs in the present. Does that make sense to everybody? His sin was not in having land, possessions, or money. His sin was not in choosing was not in choosing not to give in this particular offering. No one was being forced to do this. They did it all of their own accord. His sin was not in giving only part of the money, but his sin was in lying about it. And that is a personal choice as well. So Ananias had a sin issue, and it was twofold in this regard. Uh, first of all, he was one his, of his sins was covetousness, a wanting for the flesh or a lacking in the flesh what belongs to God. And the second part that he struggled with was hypocrisy. That's appearing to do outwardly what is not true inwardly. So these sins are often closely tied together under an umbrella that we call motives. The word motive simply means the real reason for the action. In a similar way, we say, this is what motivates me. This is what motivates me. It's what motivates me. My motives lead me to act out in one way or another. My motives lead me to action. Ananias' sin begs us to ask ourselves two questions. Am I serving my flesh or God in my everyday choices? Am I serving my flesh or God in my everyday choices? Am I the same person in secret as I appear to be in public? Those are the two questions I would, we, we all need to ask ourselves tonight. Covetousness is simply coveting is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The impulse for wanting is a very necessary part of being human. Without this particular form of energy, people would be inactive and unmotivated. However, it is also true that human nature across the board desires more than it needs. For example, animals, plants, all of all the other parts of nature function automatically to take from their environment only what is necessary for them to survive. There are clear limits to their acquisitions dictated by instinct, but that's not true with humanity. When a journalist asked the late John D. Rockefeller how much wealth was enough, the multimillionaire, who was at the time one of the richest and most powerful men in the world, answered, just a little more. doesn't matter how much you have, you always want a little more, and that's inherent of being a human. 
There are no surveys indicating that people are any happier when they have more stuff. One interviewer asked several instant millionaires, how many of you are happier today? Not one responded positively. One winner replied, every time you get something nicer, it isn't good enough because you see and want something more nicer, even nicer. Coveting is a serious business with God because it is one of the most complex and grievous of sins. The Bible lists it with the vile passions and warns that unrepented covetousness will exclude a person from heaven. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Coveting is what you might call a seed sin. A seed sin. Because it can quickly lead to other sins. In fact, the Bible tells us that coveting was the original sin behind the fall of man. In Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and then gave it to her husband, and he did eat. Both the Old and New Testaments point out that coveting is the root of many forms of sin, including lying. Linked up with a covetous spirit, you become a liar. According to Second Kings, according to Joshua, you can become a thief. This is what happened to Achan. It can cause domestic trouble, according to Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. It can even lead to murder in Ezekiel twenty two. It can lead to lust in First Timothy six. It can lead to greed in Proverbs one. It can lead to envy in Titus chapter three and jealousy in First Corinthians three. These are all manifestations of desire that has run amuck in the lives of the people of the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and that word mammon means money. Paul said in Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The antidote to coveting is contentment. And I want everybody to notice here tonight, especially our younger married couples who are still building careers and wanting to buy homes and, and bigger homes and bigger cars and all that. The antidote to coveting is contentment. And contentment is something that you have to learn. To be content is a learned behavior. It does not come naturally with humanity, neither does it come automatically. None of us are by nature a contented person. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Now that I speak in respect of want or lack, for I have learned, everybody say learned, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It is a learned mentality. It's a learned perspective It's a learned lifestyle. 
He said, I know both how to be a base and I know how to be a, a, abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul learned through his experiences that contentment is not related to our circumstances. He has learned, he said, that in whatever state I'm in, to be content, so it doesn't matter if I'm in jail or if I'm a free man, if I'm a rich man or a poor man, I have learned to be content not based on my circumstances. Listen to pastor. Being content with what you have is not passive or lazy. It's not the absence of ambition. Instead, contentment means that at every stage of your life, your happiness is measured by an appreciation for what you have and not postponed by dwelling on an inventory of what you are missing. So I want to give to you tonight quickly three ways to conquer coveting. Number one is to absolutely, positively resist comparing yourselves with someone else. The Bible teaches do not compare yourselves among yourselves. Don't do that. You create bitterness, you create resentment, you can even create hatred. You can despise people who have more than you do because you accuse God of blessing them more than he's blessed you. Comparing always leads to coveting. One of the greatest lessons you can ever learn is to be able to admire without having to acquire. If the only things in life you enjoy are the things you own, you're going to be miserable because it's not possible to own everything. There's things that I own you'll never own. There's things I own that are not for sale. So it's, it's not possible for you to own everything. So why do we constantly compare? Because the way we keep score in our society is by what a man or a woman possesses. We're insecure, so we're always looking around and asking, how am I doing compared to, and you can fill in the blank. So how am I doing to so, compared to someone in the church, or how am I doing compared to someone I work with? But net worth, net worth has absolutely no relation to self-worth. You can be possessed by your possessions and sacrifice values, morals, integrity, and even relationships just to be able to obtain more things. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts or desires which drown men in destruction and perdition. The word perdition literally means hell. And in this case, it may not necessarily be limited to the literal fiery pit of hell, but it means your life can be miserable and heartbroken and destitute uh, as a result of it. When you can truly enjoy, listen to pastor, when you can truly enjoy the success, happiness, and blessings of others, if you can truly 
celebrate the success, happiness, and blessings of others, you know that you are on the right track in your attitude and in your desires. But when you feel resentment and are ensnared by the sin of covetousness, you will find yourself running amok in the not-too-far-distant future. Notice these people in the Word of God that all of you will recognize the story. Ahab coveted Naboth's property or vineyard. What ultimately happened to Ahab? David coveted Uriah's wife. What ultimately happened to David? Saul coveted David's popularity. What happened to Saul? Miriam coveted Moses' ministry. What happened to Miriam? She became a leper. What do you covet? What do you covet? I want to have everyone understand here tonight that our purpose of the church is not to covet, it's not to compare, neither is it to judge. But when people receive a blessing from God on any level, we are to celebrate with them and rejoice with them. And everybody said amen. The Bible said in Proverbs 14, a sound heart, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. None of us would have anything, none of us, nobody here tonight, no matter what you possess, no matter what you feel content with, are things that you don't have that causes you a little bit of unhappiness. But what you do have, you would not have it if it were not for the goodness, kindness, and graciousness of God. I think we need to give God some appreciation for His blessing in our life. God wants us to enjoy what He has given to us. He doesn't hold it over your head. He doesn't give it to you with strings attached. When God blesses your life, He wants it's because He wants you to enjoy your life. But He wants you to enjoy your life and the thing He blesses you with as long as He's on the throne of your heart and He's truly the first priority in your life. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and has given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Some people fall into the trap of the when and then mentality, which says when I get, then I'll be happy. But it's faulty logic because things never satisfy So what are you waiting for to make you happy? If you're not careful, you're falling into the trap of covetousness. You are as happy as you want to be. And I'll remind all of us that being happy is usually based on happenings. But if you have a healthy relationship with God, even when the happenings aren't that happy, You can still celebrate your relationship with Jesus and know where you stand with Him. Amen. So, happiness is not getting whatever you want. It is enjoying whatever you have. One of the marks of maturity is being able to say, enough is enough. There are two ways to have enough in life. Get more or want less. There's two ways to have enough in life. 
The wise man said in Ecclesiastes, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The second way that we can conquer coveting is to release what I have to help others. God wants to bless you for your own benefit. He wants you to share your blessings to help others. One of the greatest things I believe people, blessed people can do is to pay it forward. I encourage Grace Church to do that on a pretty consistent basis. If somebody takes you out to lunch, don't pay that back by taking that person out to lunch. Take someone else out to lunch and treat them. You pay it forward. Does everybody understand that? <clears throat> so God don't want to bless you for your own benefit. He wants you to share your blessings to help others. He's watching. He's watching you to see what you give away watch the screen it's not how much you give it's how much you have left when you're done giving that's what god watches so i exactly tonight have forty two thousand nine hundred and sixty eight dollars and forty two cents in my wallet but when the offering passed tonight i only put in a buck God's watching that. Y'all understand me? That was a little bit of an exaggeration. Actually, I have $25 in my wallet and a credit card and another credit card and and actually another credit card. (laughs) Um, But God knows when you give if you're really giving sacrificially or not, and he determines that based on how much you have left. I'm going to read First Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19 from the Living Bible. Not always into these translations, but I'll use them once in a while. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly uh, all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So this verse isn't talking to those who are rich. Excuse me, this verse is talking to those who are rich, and that's us. North Americans are in the top 2% of income in the world. Even if you're on social assistance in America, you're still and the top 2% compared to the way the rest of the world live. I want that to sink in for a moment. It's possible. Is it possible to be rich and not be materialistic? Of course it is. Because materialism is an attitude, not an amount. Materialism is an attitude. It's not an amount. Giving is the cure materialism acts chapter 20 the writer said i have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the lord jesus how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive sister murphy and i have kind of a rule of thumb at at our house this is very personal but i'll share it with you Um, we don't keep clothing she don't keep hers because it goes out of style. I don't keep mine because some reason it don't fit like it used to. <laughs> See, I'm being honest here tonight. 
some of you have the same problem. There's more of you here tonight than when you first came to Grace Church. But anyway, we don't keep clothing. We have a, a, an individual. I'm not going to say who that person is. They do not attend Grace Church. But we have a person that when we're done with clothing, I don't put them on Craigslist with garage sales or whatever. We choose to give them away. And we give them to a person that knows that we're very confident, that legitimately knows a lot of very needy people. And so she will take our clothes and distribute them where she sees fit. However, uh, she did say one time that um, some of the shirts that I give her to give away, uh, a lot of them go to her husband. And um, he complained a couple of months ago that Mr. Murphy must be losing a lot of weight because his shirts don't fit me as good as they used to. And she said, he's not losing weight. The problem is that you keep gaining weight. And, um, but we personally receive a lot of fulfillment. Um, I oftentimes struggle with the mentality of people who have to, that have something that's used, but they have to sell it. I'm talking, I'm not talking about cars and homes and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about clothes and whatnots around the house or an old piece of furniture. You know, I'm going to put it on Craigslist for $10. And I'm going to waste how many days of waiting at my house for someone to show up to buy it. And they don't. And then they finally do. And they go negotiate with you down to 8 And so they give you a $10 bill. Then you have to go back in the house and hope you have two ones. It ain't worth it. Just give it away to somebody. And you'll smile and say, I helped somebody today. And I don't know how many of you are continuing March kindness, but I'm still giving away gift cards. As a matter of fact, I told Sister Murphy the other day, I need to go to McDonald's and get some more $5 gift cards. I was driving my motorcycle to Thibodeau a couple of weeks ago and saw a fellow riding down the uh, shoulder of the road on a bicycle, a very rickety bicycle, and something just kind of smote my heart. I went up, wait for traffic to turn, to, to uh, slow down or, or, or to stop. I made a U-turn, came back, and gave him a gift card, and you would have thought I gave that man a million dollars. And it just does something to you to know that you're legitimately helping somebody at least for a little while. It doesn't hurt to give things away. <clears throat> the third thing I want to mention tonight is to refocus refocus on what's going to last. Everything earthly is temporary. Everything. Everything. When you die, you can't take one thing with you. Nothing. Joseph used to say nothing with an F. Nothing. You can't take nothing with you. Refocus on what's going to last. We must give our attention to permanent values and reorganize our lives around eternal priority. Paul said, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The worst thing about materialism is that it clouds our vision of God. And we begin to think that all there really is to life is about getting and enjoying things. Our perspective 
gets literally warped. At a funeral in Beverly Hills, California, people were gathered around the casket of a very wealthy widow who was worth millions. One person said, it's so sad, she had so much to live for. The person standing next to them said, no, she had so much to live on. Very little to live for. What are you living for? Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So I challenge you tonight, I challenge you to challenge the myth that says having more will make you more happy. You have to make the choice. Is my lifestyle going to be determined by our culture or by Christ? What's really important in light of eternity? What do I think about the most? What do I spend the most time on? What am I really living for? The church is the only earthly institution that is eternal. So what are you doing today that we build that will be around 100 years from now? What are you doing today that will be around in 100 years? Some people are like Ananias. They want the church to meet all their needs while they are saving up for themselves on the side. But that's not the spirit of a real Christian. To paraphrase the words of John Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. In conclusion tonight, I'm not saying that people shouldn't try to better themselves. Uh, and again, being content is not being lazy. It's not, not having ambition. If you can better yourself, better yourself. But control and keep in check, keep in priority the things that are important. Your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life. It is more important than your job. It's more important than your home, your family. If you work here all of your life and you live to be 102 and you die lost and, and, and not right with God, it has profited you nothing. We need to keep our priorities in check. So let me conclude by saying, talking to you about hypocrisy. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek uh, stage, which means play actor. Its root word means to stimulate, feign, or pretend, or to take up another statements in reference to what one has decided for oneself, as an actor would recite lines written for him, and so on. So in other words, a hypocrite is a mimic. They go through the motions of everyone around them, but they have no corresponding reality on the inside of them. This was the sin of Ananias. An apostolic church can only be built on truth. That's not only re referring to Acts chapter 2. It is referring to our lives as well. We must truly live what we preach and teach and believe if we want God to honor and bless our efforts, it is worthy of note that the first sin in Israel, the church in the wilderness, according to Acts chapter 7, immediately after the great victory at Jericho and entering into the promised land, uh, and, and their first thing they had to deal with upon arriving in their promised land was covetousness and hypocrisy. Achan's attitude brought defeat into the camp until it was judged and God took care of it. The first sin in the New Testament church, immediately... After the great Holy Ghost outpouring, the first thing they had to deal with was covetousness and hypocrisy. It shows how prevalent it is in humanity. 
Jesus said, when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corner of the streets that they may be seen to men. Verily I say unto you, he said, they have their reward. But when you pray, pray in your closet. When you've shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And when the Father which sees in secret, then he shall reward you openly. Paul said that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So the word sincere has an interesting history, and I'm done. It comes from two Latin words. It means without wax. It's what the word sincere means. It means without wax. In the Middle East, items were fashioned out of clay, could easily become cracked as they dried. So a dishonest merchant would accept the cracked items at a much lower price than fill the cracks with, with wax before offering them for sale. Honest merchants would display their uncracked wares with signs that read, Sincera, which means without wax. Aaron was a mouthpiece for Moses, but did what Moses wanted and said what Moses dictated. But he himself did not have a word from God for himself. And that became apparent when Moses went up into Mount Sinai. And Aaron promptly built for the children of Israel golden calves to worship. You've got to have it on the inside of you. It's got to be who you are. And you have to be sincere and honest about it. There's nothing more offensive in American culture than people who profess to be Christians who are not. And I've heard of people through the years, and so have you, that say, well, I'm not going to go to that church. It's just full of hypocrites. Decided a long time ago I'd rather go to church with a hypocrite than go to hell with one. So we need to think about that. So our purpose as a church is to be honest, to be transparent, and to be true Christian people. And everybody said amen. Was this pretty good tonight? Did you get anything out of it? Let's give the Lord some appreciation tonight. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Let's stand together. And... uh, As you stand, you may exit your chair and walk around and shake hands with people and smile real big and tell them how glad you are to see them. Even if you don't mean it, go ahead and say it anyway, and the Lord will forgive you later. So God bless you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed, and we will see you Sunday morning.